When I look at the world today and even my own nation, all I can think of is this old country song. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. I know by playing that song, I'm somewhat dating myself because I actually played that record as a radio announcer back in 1973 in South Carolina. Yes, it's over and, and nobody wins. Unfortunately, I think there are many of us that feel that way today. When you look at all that has transpired in the last, let's say, 10 years, Really, it goes back farther. There's been this gradual erosion that started a number of years ago. The seeds were sown almost 100 years ago. But we as a nation overall in the United States, and the same is pretty much true in Canada, Australia, United Kingdom, pretty much most of Europe. I don't think we ever envisioned a day like today. And it's also deeply concerning to me the things that I'm seeing today. I'm trying to imagine when I was a younger guy, like the disc jockey playing Brenda Lee's record. It's over and nobody wins. What was the world like in 1973? What was the world like in 1975 or 1979 or 1985? Overall, in many ways, the world didn't change that dramatically in my growing up years. Oh, cars got better. TV sets got smaller and cheaper. A high school diploma meant something and a college degree meant something exceptional. But today, not so much. I believe a college degree is highly overrated only because of what the colleges are now teaching. I know there's still some colleges out there that have some standards. I get it. But many don't. Many are offering degrees in things that I consider personally a fool's errand. Gender studies. So what do you do with a degree in gender studies? Well, I guess you discuss gender dysphoria. And mainstream, it is normal. I'll have some stories about that today in the program. When I came up as a child, most most children could come home to a mother at home, and you weren't a latchkey kid. But as our expectations were raised over time, And I want you to think about that. As our expectations were raised over time, both parents had to work. We all wanted that second car. We all wanted the new color TV set. We all wanted a bigger house farther out in the suburbs. And so we sacrificed the time with our children. And this started, I noticed it in the 80s in particular, this this increasing trend of daycare, where young children are are farmed off to other people. And and they were always saying, oh, but that'll help them socialize. Don't you know it takes a village to train and raise a child? The Bible says it takes parents to raise a child. 
and we use the resources of our churches and other things to assist, but we don't we don't relegate that responsibility totally away to strangers. But we've done that today. My wife and I were talking yesterday about what's happening in Oregon. I've mentioned it on the program where Governor Kate Brown signed a bill oh, about back in July, actually. They didn't make a big deal about it because I think it was so embarrassing where there are no standards left anymore for a high school diploma in the state of Oregon. You don't, you don't need to be proficient in English and reading and mathematics or history or anything else. It's all social progression, social promotion, and low expectations. And see, their excuse, and for a governor that is so busy calling everybody white a racist, even though she's white, we have a whole party calling everybody racist. Racist, racist. You have racist thoughts. Master bedroom, that's racist. This is racist. You're racist. Governor Brown, let me see if I can can help you here. Kate Brown, here's the deal. The bill you signed, if you look at it objectively, it's racist. You know why? Because your excuse, your excuse for signing the bill is that the education system is systemically racist. And people of color, Native Americans, indigenous people from the islands of the Pacific and a whole bunch of other stuff are incapable of getting good grades. In other words, you're saying as a white supremacist, which is what the bill really would be if you take it logically, you're saying that people of color can't do as well as the whites, so we'll just make everybody on a lower plane. Yet somehow this is a wonderful progressive idea. And from a progressive point of view, it probably is, and here's why. The best way to control people in any nation in the history of mankind is to control education, lower the expectations, and make people highly dependent upon the government. If you don't believe that has not been happening in the United States, then you have not been paying attention. It's happened all over the world, too. But I'm just going to talk about what I know and have observed for, you know, firsthand. Go back to 1965. It was one of the greatest tipping points in the change of our nation. It sowed the seeds big time. It fertilized the seeds, trust me. And they got well watered in 1965. The Great Society, proposed by Lyndon Baines Johnson, the President of the United States, at the time. The same Lyndon Johnson that in 1954 essentially passed a law, which I really believe is a violation of the First Amendment, but it's in there to shut up a lot of churches about talking about anything political. Up until 1954, from the beginning of this nation, in the 1700s, all the way through the 1800s, all the way up till 1954, and Lyndon Johnson, churches had the right to speak their mind, and nobody thought it was unconstitutional or wrong. 
But see, it started then. Churches are told, hey, you stay out of the political arena. We don't need to hear from you. By the way, we're going to change some of the rules, and we're going to encourage uh, minority families to be torn apart. See, if you are on welfare and you have a child with no man in the house, you get more money. And so we started this process in the 1960s in the United States of destroying the family unit. And what did we get for all this great society? Did we ever get a great society? No, we've gotten a worse society over the years. We have created a situation where crime is rampant. I'm thinking back to the 1970s. I'm thinking back when I would take a train in 1970, 71, from Long Island into Manhattan. And I didn't worry about being attacked, mugged, or shot. I took the subways. I did all these things, especially when I was in college. But no, today, the dangers are a lot higher. Look at, look at some of the video we have now. You walk down the street and somebody comes up to you and just punches you in the face, robs you blind, knocks over old people just for the fun of it, breaking bones and you know causing serious injury. This is the end product of Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Destroyed families. When you look at those that are in prison today for violent crime, it's amazing the percentage of those that came out of a single-parent home. Virtually all. Absent fathers. And this was by the Great Society's ideal of rewarding rewarding having children out of marriage. I hate to put it this way, but I'm going to say it, and, and I, I'm, I apologize if it sounds condescending, but I'm just giving an observation. There are places I've driven past that are essentially what you would call the projects, the the uh, affordable housing Section 8 apartment complexes. And you see a lot of people who don't work, a lot of drugs, and a lot of single moms with two, three, and four children, all being taken care of by the state. And the men come and go, but they don't live there. Because if they did, they'd lose money if they're married. We have created our own monster in the United States. So there's one of the problems we face. I can remember back in 1972, getting ready to graduate from high school, probably maybe in April or maybe early May of that year. I had a very good social studies teacher. We used to teach that back when I was going through school. And he made a few observations about the time in which we lived and his predictions for the future we may have. He really believed because of some of the things he saw coming. Now, remember, this is a small town in upstate New York. Everybody kind of knows everybody. And he said he wonders moving forward over the next several years 
what the quality of education was going to be because of some of the changes that he saw coming. The, the watering down of, of education, so to speak. It was the very beginning of what we would now call the dumbing down of America. It wasn't dramatic. It didn't happen overnight. It took decades to thoroughly complete. And he wondered when it came to things like SAT scores and grades and, and standards in general, would they begin to decline in the years ahead? Because he was very observant. And as I look backward in time now, I really believe he was correct. He was seeing the beginning of a trend if things didn't change. And a lot of it had to do in the inner city areas with, with the lack of desire for an education the welfare mentality, I don't need school mentality, I can make my living on the street mentality, that played into it. And over time, schools wanted to get more involved with our children's lives, and and many parents thought it was great. Hey, I want to work, both parents, you know, the mom wants to work too and have her career, and, you know, I'll, I'll sacrifice the quantity of my time and, and have a little bit of quality time. We heard that expression a lot starting in the 1980s. It was shouted from the rooftops in the 1990s. I give my child quality time. It's not so much how much time I give. It's quality time. You know, that two hours on Saturday or Sunday. And that's what it really came down to. A lot of children having to get up in the wee hours of the morning because the dad may be commuting somewhere for his career job and mom having to get ready for her job. And kids head off to school and if they're under a certain age, after school they're taken to a daycare center and sometime around 6 p.m. or so at night, 11 hours or so later, they come home grab some fast food, parents watch their TV, the kids go into their room and do their own thing, and they call that quality time. Parents were essentially, without realizing it, divorcing their children from the majority of their parents' lives. Then others try to make up the lack of time with a child by giving them activities like soccer or ball games or a bunch of other stuff. Nothing wrong with any of those. I was involved in a number of extracurricular activities coming along. But I wasn't being pushed into them. Like they're trying to make up for something that they haven't been able to give us. Those are the kind of problems that I'm seeing. So let's look at what's the seeds that were sown that are now, they're now coming to harvest. They've been coming to harvest. And the plants they have grown are downright ugly. Poisonous and dangerous. I want you to look at the last 10 years I mean, there's plenty I could take you. We can go through the 90s and everything else. We could go through all of it. But I want to just look at the rapid increase in pace. I've used this analogy before, and I want you to stop and think. Just hold on and hang in here with me just for a moment. I can remember being asked the question, oh, I guess I was in, what, the fifth grade? 
And the teacher goes, what would you rather have? A thousand dollars or a penny doubled every day for a month? Now, you know, and maybe there was a third option I can't remember, but, you know, a penny doubled every day for a month or would you like a thousand dollars right now? And of course, you know, those that wanted to be rewarded instantly would say, yeah, I'll take the thousand. And then the teacher goes up to the blackboard and takes one penny and doubles it. On day two, now you have two cents. On day three, you have four cents. On day four, you have eight cents and 16 cents. You break, you finally get over a dollar, I believe, at the end of the first week. And if you're sitting there with that thousand dollars, you're just smiling and smiling and smiling. But as time progresses on, you get to week number two and number three, the numbers are beginning to go up. And before you know it, you've got a million dollars when that month is over. This is what's happening with the degradation and the falling of our society and nation. It started a long time ago, and over time, the troubles double. But they're not that noticeable. There's still a small amount. You know, like I say, a penny becomes two cents becomes four cents. You really don't notice it when you're back in the 70s and 80s. You you see the problems. You know there are problems out there. But we've come into a time in the last several years where the numbers are getting much bigger. And the problem is getting much greater. I said before, and I still hold to this. By the way, I, we've been watching, and I'll maybe I'll talk about it tomorrow or Monday. Been trying to, to watch Mike Lindell's uh, cyber symposium. And, and I'm going to withhold any opinion until I've thought it through. There's some interesting information. There are things that I don't quite understand. I don't think a lot of us do. But I will trust my instinct to say that I agree with one thing. The election of 2020 was a total, you know, abnormal election on a number of fronts. Do I believe that uh, Joe Biden won? No, I don't. And it's a, it just from knowing some of the places where, where he won where you would never expect him to win. And there's some you know, persuasive evidence out there. Whether we get it fixed or not, I doubt it. I'll quickly just take this aside right here. Here's what I really believe is going to happen. Ultimately, the truth of that election will finally get out. Now, CNN will try to ignore it, MSNBC. You know, the the, the usual cast of characters will pretend it still didn't happen. And even if it did, there's nothing we can do about it now. It's too late. We're too far into the term of, of, of Joe Biden to change it now. You can't go back, because I have a feeling it's going to take another year. I may be wrong, but as slow as the wheels of justice turn, by the time we've figured out that the election is invalid and you get through all the court cases, his first term will be over. In 2022, if they can still cheat, don't count on getting it all back. So I don't have a whole lot of hope in our election system because of some of the things that are blatantly obvious uh, 
that we have seen with our own eyes. In Georgia, for example, we spend a lot of time in Georgia. We vote in Florida, just so you know, because we are Florida residents. That's where our primary house and everything is. It's just we've been using our little place in the mountains a little bit more so family can uh, stay and do some things in our house in Florida. It also allowed me to launch this radio program in a more quiet and peaceful location. But knowing Georgia as well as I do, because I lived in Georgia, I've been in Georgia, I spent decades here, starting in 1975. I've lived in several parts of the state. I've traveled the entire state. And I understand the politics of this state better than most. Georgia's conservative Democrat roots, back when you could be a Democrat and a conservative and a Bible-believing Christian without having a whole lot of compromise, I remember those days. And as the Democrat Party began to move away from, from values, it's like the former governor, Zell Miller, said, a national party, no more. He said, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. It left me and went to places that we never would have envisioned 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I can remember interviewing, this has got to be back in the 1990s, I guess. Yeah, 1990s. I interviewed a guy that was running for, for the office of Congress, 9th District Congressman. This is, they've changed the lines a little bit, but I was working for a Christian college, building their network of stations, and occasionally I would do some on-air fill-in work And I had the opportunity of interviewing a guy, a Democrat candidate by the name of Nathan Deal. And I talked to him about some of the issues, especially from a Christian perspective. And all of his answers are great. I'm thinking, this guy's wonderful. We got to a commercial break. Well, not a commercial break. It's a non-commercial station. We got to a break. And I asked him off mic. I said, so how can you stay in the Democrat Party? I mean, you know, they don't believe what you believe. And he said, Bob, it's like this right now. He said, we're, at a, we're in a transition here in Georgia. And he said, the Democrat Party of Georgia is going crazy. But unfortunately, a lot of people are still yellow dog Democrats, as they used to call them. If a yellow dog ran, that's what you vote for. The Democrat doesn't matter about the person. People were so accustomed to voting party, they didn't look at a person's credentials or character. And so Nathan explained to me that he said, if I don't run as a Democrat, I can't even, I don't have a chance of winning. Well, he won. He won his race. And I want to say this was 1992, also the year that Clinton came into power. But in 1990, before, well before 1994, Nathan Deal switched parties, I think, in 1993 to Republican. He ended up being reelected numerous times, ended up being the governor of the state of Georgia as a Republican. See, in the late 80s, early 90s, states like South Carolina and Georgia, Alabama and others were beginning to have a party shift because their party had walked away from from things like the Christian faith. They, They started being, well... I don't want to, the word tolerance doesn't fit. They began to push a different agenda, which is not as healthy for the family. 
So today, I know I'm just kind of rambling on here in the beginning of the program because I'm looking at where we are today. An election mess, a pandemic. You have some of the most insane things going on. You've got... There's a story a person shared with me, and I'm going to play a little cut from it in just a couple of minutes. Uh, A long interview. I can't play the whole thing. It's quite lengthy. But this whole transgenderism thing is becoming another wedge issue. And I think in this particular story, you have a, a husband and wife, and they've got a son. And they're divorced. Not going to get into the reasons why. But the mother wants to transition the boy into being a girl, but the boy wants to remain a boy, but he's in the custody of his mom, and the, and the judge is siding with the mother to transition a boy into being a girl. This is the kind of craziness and insanity that we're facing in this country today. Let that sink in. When does a four-year-old boy know that he needs to transition into being a girl? They don't. They have a lot of growing up to do. There's a lot of things about their own selves they don't even understand. And the one thing the media tries to suppress, what about those who do the transition and have regrets, especially if they've been surgically altered? Like one guy that went through that process said, now I feel like a Frankenstein. The suicide rate among those that have transgendered is a lot higher than the regular population. That ought to tell you something. It didn't fix the problem. But we're being told now that, you know, it's a terrible thing if you don't use the preferred pronouns. And we've gone to the state of absolute ridiculousness and insanity. And, you know, this is this is delusion, my friend. But these delusions do not surprise me anymore. I used to believe that it can't get any worse than this. I really believed that for a long time. And now you've got boys wanting to be called a she or, you know, the other pronouns are we and they. Now now there are two of them in there. And, And if you don't say the right pronoun in some places like, oh, I don't know. Now, this is a story that I ran into a few weeks ago, and I've kind of held on to it, and I think now's a good time to share it. It comes from our neighbor to the north, Canada. And I can remember when I first started hearing about the the seriousness of the gender issue in Canada that you can't use the wrong selected pronouns. If somebody wants to be called a a she or a her or a him and a he or an it and a they or whatever else you could think of, it's considered a hate crime. Now, when this was first discussed back in 2017 and 2018, all kinds of stories came up when people would say, you know, a person could end up in jail or or pay a fine or be in serious uh, problems for misgendering. And everybody said, no, 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 that'll, that will never happen. 
It can't happen. You know, this is Canada. This is the land of the free. And we would never do such things. But then there's this story. In Canada, there is a new story that is very interesting. It is about a father, goes by the name of Robert Hoogland, is how I think I say his name, who was jailed, jailed, put in jail after referring to his biological child as his daughter. Your head might be spinning right now. What are you talking about? Well, we're going to break down this story. So this article comes over from the Post Millennial. It says, there's a man in Canada who can only be alluded to as he who shall not be named, Robert Hoogland. For the sake of natural justice, it's important to speak his name. He is now Canadian state's prisoner of conscience. The warrant was issued by a judge after the arrest of a father after calling his biological female child his daughter and referring to her with the pronouns she and her. He was found to be in contempt of court. He is the father of a gender non-conforming biological female 14-year-old who identifies as transgender and prefers the use of male pronouns. Hoogland has repeatedly called this person his daughter, though the court has forbade it. So the the courts in Canada apparently are getting involved in these things now for a 14-year-old. All right. So at, on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Vancouver time, Hoogland surrendered himself to the court in response to the attorney general of British Columbia's warrant for his arrest for contempt. He was arrested and jailed. The warrant was issued by Judge Tamman on March 4th, 2021. So after all the claims that something like that could never happen in Canada, I'm looking at story after story after story that came out a year or two later. Like I say, back in 2017 and 18, oh, no, 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 not a problem. I mean, this is this is just so you don't call them evil or, or bad things. And now we're finding out, like in British Columbia, misgendering and incorrect pronouns can create difficult situations, legally speaking. Respecting pronouns is now a professional liability and responsibility. Um, you have... People talking about repeated violations and they need to be dealt with. A federal judge orders a Christian hate group. A Christian hate group. Basically, they're Christians who call a boy a boy and a girl a girl. And that's considered such an evil thing. In this particular case, this Christian hate group, because they look at things logically and realistically, you have a... a boy saying i'm a girl and i want to compete in athletics and see that's a crime now in canada and i guarantee you it's becoming a crime here in the united states very rapidly we'll talk about that on the other side of the break listen we're going to talk about today like i say i'm just kind of catching you up on some just things that i see and observe and i want you to really hang around for the next part of the program because I want to get into a little bit of depth. All of this, really, from a biblical perspective, should not be surprising. It really shouldn't. The Bible always has warned about a great falling away. And the Bible also talks about this delusion, this reprobate mind, this reprobate spirit that is consuming the world in these latter times. They think what right, what's right is now wrong, what's wrong is now right. Their minds are thoroughly clouded, and we're seeing it happen at all levels of government all over the Western world. Canada is just one example. The United States, hey, it's coming here too. 
It's coming more rapidly than you think. You have schools that are now fighting that issue. Now, if you're in northern Virginia, which is the hotbed of insanity because most of the people there work for the federal government and are Democrats to begin with, they're buying into all this this satanic silliness. We're coming to a very, very dangerous time. We've talked about some things that it's leading toward, and I'm going to get into it on the other side of the break. Do you believe in the work we're doing here at Truth to Ponder? I know I talked a long time in this first segment, just kind of sharing some things that have been in front of my desk and I haven't had a chance to deal with. We need your support to get more radio stations if we can and to pay for the ones that we're currently on. And I want to thank the many of you that have been faithfully and in some cases, I know, sacrificially supporting this program. It means a lot to me. I want to take this opportunity of this time that I have on radio and even as a podcast to use it for the glory of God. I want to be able to identify so you can understand, is it a losing battle? Yeah, I think in many ways it is, but in many ways it is not. And I'm going to really get into the hopeful side on the other side of this break. Our mailing address, if you want to help help us financially, is 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E, 21 Berkshire Lane, in Sky Valley, two words, Sky Valley, Georgia, and the zip code is 30537. The address is also on our website. I made a few little minor changes to the website. Man, I could use some help in really dressing this website out. I kind of know what I need to do, but time has also been one of my enemies. So just so you know, pray for us. That's one of the most important things you can do, that the doors will continue to be open. When we come back, I'm going to share just a few thoughts about this gender identity crisis, why it is part of Satan's plan in destroying our nation and our world, and why it is a wedge issue and how even the church is being led astray. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Spiritual as milk. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. What is spirituality? Well, talk to any number of believers and you'll get any number of different answers. Most of them complicated. Spirituality for most people and most believers, it's a complicated thing. Some say it's speaking in tongues or the gifts of the spirit or exercising the faith principles or knowing theology or practicing self-denial. But, you know, I'd rather listen to an unborn child. One in particular, a Hebrew baby named Yochanan, we know as John the Baptist. It's written that when Yohanan was inside his mother's womb, he heard the voice of Miriam, Mary, the mother of Messiah. He leapt for joy inside the womb. What does he teach us about spirituality? Well, he teaches us this. Spirituality is as simple as leaping for joy. But not just that. Spirituality is as simple as leaping for joy inside your mother's womb. Now, when you're inside your mother's womb, you don't know a lot about tongues or theology or you barely know enough to just suck your thumb. But that's the point. Yohanan could barely just suck his thumb and yet he was able to worship. He knew enough to worship and leave for joy in the presence of God. That tells you something. Spirituality is really simple. It's the stuff of little children. It's as basic as milk, even more basic, because unborn children can't even drink milk yet. How do you become spiritual? 
It's real simple. It's real basic. You come back to your first love. You need him, my friend, more than milk, more than water, more than air. Don't debate it. Don't try to figure it out. Just receive his love and leap for joy. Now that's spirituality. Want more? Ask for the song of Miriam. Now the free gift for you. The mystery hidden for 2,000 years in the sands of Israel, better than Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's real. The mystery of the temple doors, you'll love it. And Sapphire is your daily spiritual vitamin supply for victorious life in God. So how do you get all these free gifts? Easy. Just remember Jesus is real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. You'll be so blessed, but call now 1-800-YESHUA-1. Now I invite you to minister with me in bringing the good news back to the people who gave it to you. Israel and the unreached peoples of every tribe and tongue on five continents. You'll be so blessed. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Yeshua-1. Or write me direct. I'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, whatever you got. The Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's The Nice Jewish Boy. It's at Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Until next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Lechem Chaim, the bread of life. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of Truth to Ponder. On this Thursday, I'm your host, Bob Bierman got a few things I want to share in this segment. I want to change direction a little bit. I want to ask this question right up front. I don't care if you live in Canada. I don't care if you live in the United Kingdom, Australia, United States. How many of you believe that if we just get the right people in office, if we just somehow have a good election that's fair, that all of our problems will be solved? How many of you believe that? Frankly, I don't. I believe we're heading toward a time where we might get a little respite. But overall, we are heading for a very precarious time. Our nation has been drifting in the United States in particular, and I see it all over the world. Formerly nations that served or claimed to honor the Christian faith no longer do. One leader at a time has turned their back on the faith. And many people that that believe in, well, the rapture will, will take care of me, so when things get bad, I am gone. I don't think the early apostles ever believed they were going to be shall we say, exempt from persecution, exempt from trials, exempt from tribulation. They thoroughly expected it. If you look at some of the first century Christians and second and third century, many felt unworthy of Christ because they were never martyred. Nobody ever wanted to kill them for their faith. Yet here in the United States and Canada and Australia, we want a convenient, fun, happy faith where we go to church when it's convenient and everything is pretty and we're all dressed up really nice. And nowadays in the more contemporary church, it's come as you are and enjoy the show. We've got a lot of troubles ahead of us 
in the Western world. And I'm going to deal with this for the rest of the program today and definitely even more so tomorrow. It's real easy to point out the problems with voting. I mean, I, I firmly believe that the election in the United States was tampered in many places. Whether it's the kind of scale that some people think it is or a lesser scale, I, I still believe some of the results are bogus. And to think that it can't happen and to give me all this nonsense about cybersecurity, well, look how well cybersecurity works. If you don't believe me, we had an oil pipeline shut down here in the United States. We had a meat packing company where they couldn't do anything. We're constantly under cyber attack in the Western world. The day can come when it'll become on a grand scale. Imagine if the banking industry collapses because of a cyber attack. It could happen. And for us to think blindly that nothing ever is going to go wrong, you're being foolish. I believe that the integrity of elections is very questionable on a worldwide scale. And as we place all of the trust into these machines and computers, we're getting a false hope. But getting back to where we should be, those people of faith, preparing for the future that is, that is going to come, we can't stop it. It doesn't mean we give up. I know that song at the beginning of the program today, if you were with me from the beginning, the old Brenda Lee song. Yes, it's over, but nobody wins. It's kind of where I think we're heading toward. It'll be over and nobody wins. But while we still have time, while we still are able, we should use the time that we have to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be prepared for the day that is coming. There's some good news out there that some people think is bad news. And I, I'm one of the ones, and I've said it before, I think some of the so-called bad news is actually good. Back in 2017, Ed Stetzler made a dramatic prediction in the Washington Post, and he's someone that has dealt with missions in his life. If it doesn't stem its current decline... Mainline Protestantism only has 23 Easters left. Well, now we're down to 19, based on Stetzler's prediction of the mainline churches. And, and there's a number of reasons, and I consider that good news. I really do. And here, here's the reason why. A lot of the mainline churches no longer celebrate the fullness of the faith once delivered to the saints. They don't share that faith. They don't live that faith. They don't believe that faith. They've adopted for themselves another gospel, which is not the gospel. St. Paul reminds us, if any of us, the apostles or any preacher or even an angel from sent from above gives you a, another revelation, don't listen. There is only one gospel. But that has been changed in our progressive churches today. We have a lot of progressive churches. So I'm glad that they're, they're aging out. I'm glad that nobody really cares. And I'm glad that it's only a handful of people that are going there uh, trying to celebrate their sins 
which is what is happening in too many churches today. You have these Lutheran pastors, in whether in Sweden or the United States or all over the world. They no longer believe in the resurrection. They don't care. They believe in, in social justice. I, there was one female Lutheran pastor in the United States. I'm trying to remember her name, and I read the story probably, oh, Monday or Tuesday of this week. And she is preaching that she no longer no longer wants to talk about the Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. When he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, you remember that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, you know, the, the whole Great Commission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. She now says, I will not abide by the Great Commission because it's racist. Let me pause on that. I got to think that one through. I don't understand how. Well, she's claiming, well, see, that was added later. He, Jesus never said that. There's a lot that these progressives want to take from the Scripture and things they absolutely want to add to the Scripture. It's good news to me that some of these churches are sinking and shrinking and dying, and the faster they can die off, the better off I think we're going to be. Because having fake and phony churches that have abandoned the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't do a thing in changing the world and changing hearts and lives. I'm looking at an article the other day. It talks about like the Church of Sweden. In 15 years, you know, they, they have dropped about, oh, I don't know, they're only 55%, you know, of what they used to be. Church of Scotland, it's dismal. In a country of 5.5 million people, and they have been adapting the civil unions and, and same-sex marriages, and they're getting ready to adopt some rights for next year for same-sex partners. The figures now for the Church of Scotland, they've dropped by about half in the last, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Anglican Church of Canada, once again, the these are the ones that all want to be at the at the table with Canterbury, which I do not want to be with them. You know, they back in the nineteen sixties, they had like one point three million members. They got maybe three hundred thousand today. And with the pandemic and everybody afraid of the virus, they're probably cut that in half. These churches are slowly dying. And the faster they die off, like in 2006, the Episcopal Church here in the United States said officially, we're on board for gay marriage. They beat Obama and the Supreme Court. They think it's a wonderful idea. And they have dropped, oh, I don't know, about a third of their members have gone off in the last 15, 20 years. Like I say, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, which is not Lutheran or Evangelical anymore. Now, you may find one or two here or there, but they're busy pushing the idea of you know gay and lesbian pastors and and gay marriage. I, I know of a church, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm going to share this. There's a church in Florida that I'm aware of. It's it's an ELCA church, and 
I'm sure that at one time when it was founded and, and the building first built way back in the 1960s, early 70s, before all this wokeness and all this heresy had really just taken over these church buildings. I can remember there would be a time, probably around maybe 1970, where you had many faithful churches in what was then the Lutheran Church in America or the American Lutheran Church. Today, not so much. You have your you have a transgender they they have transgendering bishops they've got if it's woke they're they're going for it man and this one church I know it well their pastor believes in all of this he thinks it's all just wonderful that we just love everybody and just all get along so sweetly and it's it's just you know we need to be in a happy place and they share their building with a very strange gay Catholic congregation where. The priest is married to his male deacon. They're 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 the husband and wife team, and, and we see more. Of the, there's a lot more of this going on than you want to even openly admit. The good news is the more the ELCA, the Lutheran Church of America, goes woke, the more they go broke, and I can praise God for that. That they've pretty well cut their membership in half in the last oh since they got really going. And as they get deeper into the LGBTQ and transgenderism and everything else and your personal pronouns and all of it, the faster they get into it, the more their churches are dying off. They can't die off soon enough. The same with with, uh, what is called the Presbyterian Church USA, PACUSA. It's the largest Presbyterian body. And... I'm telling you, they are they have approved the ordination of of homosexual clergy. The, the marriage is of two people. It doesn't mean man and woman. It can be two people, two men or two women. And in the decades since they did that, they've lost a third of their members. I wish they would lose all of their members. They're preaching a phony and damnable gospel. That's what it is. And so we have all these beautiful church buildings that were built over the over the decades or centuries now flying their rainbow flags every June. That should be a warning sign. That's not a church anymore. You know, St. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering and forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And here's what he says. There is one body, one Spirit, even one as are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. St. Paul also reminds us, as Jesus did, times are going to be tough. I mean, he told uh, young Timothy, young Timothy, becoming a preacher out there, perilous times are coming. The day will come, and it will always happen in a society when people will be, they'll be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. And that's what we're seeing happen. Jesus reminds his disciples that we're going to come into 
into very precarious times, and, and he gives them warning of the seasons, and, and this is for us today. Read Matthew chapter 24. He tells us what to expect. One of the things many of today's Christians don't want to read in Matthew 24 These are the beginnings of sorrows when he talks about nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and divers places. Now, you and I, we've all heard this, but here's the, we we don't want to get to this verse. We we stop at the verse 8 where it says, and these are the beginning of sorrows. But too many of us don't want to hear these words. And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall be many offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And here's the time we're coming into now. Many false prophets shall deceive, shall rise and deceive many. We're there. We are there. We have people that claim to be believers that have waxed cold, as it says in verse, waxed cold, as it says in verse 12. We're told to endure to the end. We're also reminded in other parts of Scripture to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the things, these things, you know, how to, how to be fed, how to be cared for, will be added unto us. You know, I, I have to think. I have to think carefully of the time we're coming in. I'm getting weary of hearing people say, hey, we'll fix it in 2022. I don't know if we have until 2022. At the rate things are happening in this world today. If you go back to 2019, a lot of my evangelical Christian brothers and sisters in Christ would say to me, Trump will be reelected and it's going to be just happy times are here again, or happy days are here again. You know, we're going to have, you know, just a wonderful time and churches can grow and prosper, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what we were hearing in 2019. Then the pandemic came. Well, we'll get, it'll be over by Easter. It will be over by the 4th of July. It'll be over by Labor Day. Hey, by the time Thanksgiving comes around in 2020, Christmas, and it kept getting worse and worse, and the fear kept rising. And, you know, I, I stare at the numbers sometimes, and I, I just don't understand, you know, where, they, where some of these numbers even come from. I'm not going to get into that now. I may not even, I'm not even going to get into it tomorrow. Um, I may get into it in just a, maybe next week again. You know, it, I've never seen the world respond like it is in such fear. And I've never seen churches so discriminated against in this nation. Hey, if you are a marijuana store, you had more rights than a church during this pandemic. If you're the liquor store, especially a state-run liquor store like the ones in Virginia or North Carolina or other places, yeah, they were open because they're a source of revenue for the state. But they shut down small businesses and they shut down the churches because they don't pay the state that much. Besides... Put everybody in the Walmarts and Amazon. We'll get our money that way. You you following all that I'm telling you here? 
We're coming into a time where we don't have much time. We see laws coming on the books in the United States that are going to, they're going to cut off our ability. Look, the, the tech tyrants hate true Christians. And you start talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness on Facebook, you will be shut down. The same will happen to you on Twitter because they don't want to hear a lot of what the Bible has to say on certain topics. We learned that from Jerry Nadler. The word of God has no bearing, you know, whatever God or some religion says on this Congress. Ha he's just so arrogant before God. I don't care what you say, God, because I'm in charge of this hearing here in the House of Representatives of the United States. I'm bigger than you is what he's saying. There's a fall coming for all of these people. There's a day coming if they don't repent. A lot of people in this country are highly deceived and put in fear. You know, there's been a great propaganda campaign. What are we called in the Bible? We are called the salt and light. And understand what that means. Number one, salt is a preservative. When it's no longer useful to be a preservative, you throw it out. It's trash. And many Christians are no longer being the salt in this world They're just kind of hanging in there and watching the TV going, yeah, we got troubles, man. We got troubles. And we're the light of the world. Christians are afraid to share their faith with others. They're afraid they'll lose their position in society, within clubs and groups of friends or business or their job. If you're a follower of Christ, that's got to come to an end. See, if you don't confess your Savior before others, do you expect Christ to proclaim you before his Father? I'm always reminded of that hymn, Ashamed of Jesus, shall it never be? A mortal man ashamed of thee? But many that claim the name of Christ, they're ashamed. They don't want to talk about, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Oh, I, I can't say that because it might offend my neighbor. We have a responsibility, if you claim to be a Christian, to be his follower through all things. And if we truly trust in him, he will take us through these terrible times that are coming. I'm going to get into tomorrow how we begin to think differently. The age of the church as we knew it in the United States, Canada, Australia, the rest, the whole world, really, the Western world. It's over as we knew it. And I'm sure there'll always be a reason to social distance and shut them down. Many churches will never be the size that they were, which may not be such a bad thing. Listen, we're going to get into this deeply starting tomorrow. You don't want to miss the program. If you believe in this work, would you consider supporting us? Our address is 21 Berkshire Lane, number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia. Sky Valley, Georgia. And our zip code is 30537. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.